Lord, we thank you that you fight our battles. You go before us, that you have been given the victory. You have overcome death. And Lord, thank you that we are new in you. And Lord, as we open your scriptures, teach us. We magnify you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Welcome, SBC. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, if I haven't introduced myself, my name is uh, Brad Noel. I'm the worship and outreach pastor here, and uh, it's good to worship with you this morning. A quick announcement as we kind of gear up for outreach season. uh, October, we launch our Trunk or Treat uh, event. If you are new here, if you don't know what that is, uh, we basically on Halloween night, we invite thousand people to come through our parking lot and to interact with you and you and you and you and you and you. Uh, so the invitation is, is that you would come, uh, decorate a car, serve at the games, um, at the food booth, be a setup person, a teardown person, a person that is strategically placed throughout for our scavenger hunt for the gospel presentation. Uh, there's so many ways that you can get plugged in and utilize your gifts for the glory of God. And I invite you to come. Marley, which is our intern uh, currently right now, will be on the deck with a clipboard. Uh, look for Marley. Pretty gal, brown hair. Um, we'll have a clipboard. And you go, uh, oh, she's actually right here. Marley, could you uh, raise your hand or stand up? Well, maybe stand up so everybody can see because they can't really see. This is Marley. Yeah, intern Marley. Marley is doing a phenomenal job. Touch base with her. Uh, we need your name. Uh, phone number, email, and I will contact you directly and just let you know maybe a, a place that you're directed toward uh, serving that night. But Halloween night, 5 to 8 p.m., uh, please come. Like I said, there's, in years past, there's been over 1,000 people that have come through here, and it's been an opportunity that we can bless the town of Truckee for really one of Truckee's biggest events. So we invite you to come. Come join together with Serve. Good morning. Hey, welcome. Um, my name's Jesse, if we haven't met yet. Uh, and as Brad mentioned, Trunk or Treat's a huge event for us, so we need lots of volunteers. Please sign up and help out. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we do a car, my wife and I, every year and, and really enjoy it. Uh, I want to mention a couple things. If you are new, uh, we did launch an app uh, a little while back. We're trying to encourage everyone to get on there, turn on your notifications, because there is a ton of things happening at the church, especially with fall and everything opening back up. Uh, as I, I said, actually, to the first service, if you're not connected yet, and and if you were to make the statement, hey, I just can't get connected. It's not on our end. We have done so much to make sure that there's plenty of opportunities for you uh, to plug in, and I'll mention a few of those. In fact, a couple of our Bible studies are larger than they ever have been in the season of the church, uh, which is pretty incredible, yep. Um, And uh, uh, in, in addition to that, because there's so many new people and there has been so much transition over the last 18 months, uh, we're looking for some volunteers in Kids Church. Joe and Abby Casey run that next door. Uh, you can find their pictures online. But they do an incredible job. If you're a parent, and, and the fact that you can take your kids over there, drop them off, and you know that they're getting solid biblical info, they're just doing a tremendous job. And we're looking for more volunteers there to help out. So um, please sign up over there if you can. Uh, and um, I was going to say something else to that, but I can't remember. But um, they need helpers. Uh, oh, I was going to say, they, they launch, if you don't know, and it's on the newsletter as well as the webpage every week, uh, a new family devotion based off of the, uh, the material they're covering each week. So if you want uh, to dive into that, you can as well. Um, in October, is it October? October 2nd, um, Night of Purpose is happening. This is an event for Travis and Amber. 
they're missionaries of ours. They serve in Mexico uh, and, and basically help adopt and orphan uh, children and, and strengthen them and help them out. And they're building a building down there to do just that. And they do a fundraiser every year down in Roseville. Uh, and you can connect with that, buy some tickets, go down. There's an auction and a taco dinner and all that. Uh, but that's a way to support them. So make sure um, you uh, check that out. And then uh, Tracy is going to come up and talk a little bit about our Titus 2 ministry that's starting up tomorrow. So Tracy, why don't you kind of come, come up with your gals and share what's going on with the Titus 2 ministry. Yeah. My name's Tracy Cuneo, for those I haven't met. Um, Titus 2 is a mentoring to learn to mentor and to learn to be comfortable being mentored. Uh, there are a lot of examples in the Bible of like Naomi mentored Ruth and Barnabas mentored Paul who mentored Timothy. Um, the way to, I best describe it is it's women walking side by side through the craziness of life and drawing closer to Jesus. Um, it just gives you this, these groups are six or less, six or fewer, and we meet once a month. Um, and I wanted to give these girls an opportunity to um, tell you what they got out of it last year. <laughs> it was just an incredible uh, time that I could put aside for myself to be able to uh, learn how to mentor other woman, women and to allow myself to be mentored and corrected by other biblical women. It was a really beautiful thing. Sorry, it was more than six. Supposed to be it's going to be more than six, too. Sorry. Um, so... I was, uh, just had gotten back into the church, and Tracy, I signed up, and um, I'm between two places, so she allowed me to do it remotely, <laughs> too. But uh, I had no idea what, I, what to expect. It was the most incredible time that I had with these ladies. Um, really challenged me to uh, look at my faith and um, where I, I didn't understand lots of things, and it was nice. Um, the books, I would have never chosen these books to read myself, so that was really amazing. And then the most incredible part of it is I have these lifelong sisters forever to always call on whenever I'm in trouble, whenever I need guidance, or just a friend. Oh, hello. <laughs> Short. Sisterhood. I really found out what that means. Unique, different people coming together because we all love Christ. Can you hold it for me? Yes. Okay. So um, I, my daughter is 20, and she got to do a group, and I was part of a different group, so kind of a family affair, but we decided to do it this way. It's a safe place. Oh, sorry, safe place to grow in victory as we follow Jesus. These are some of the books that we read. So we're uh, doing a kickoff tomorrow night at 6 p.m. to start the first groups. You can join a group until the end of September and then it's closed, but you still can sign up if you want one-on-one -on -one mentoring and the sign-ups in the back if you want to get into a group. Thanks. Um, and then uh, on the other kind of spectrum of things, we started a college-age ministry uh, this last month. That is tonight. It's called The Well. If you're a college-age student, 
want to invite you to come. Uh, it's in Ray Hall next door. We had close to 40 students uh, last week, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to continue to grow from there. Uh, and so join that. And then we um, support a ministry called Scarlet Hope. Shannon Brimer is back in the area. I don't know how many of you know her, but she is back. And uh, she's the director of Scarlet Hope now. She grew up here through our youth group. Uh, and uh, this is uh, an event for, to help raise funds. If you're not familiar with Scarlet Hope, they're involved uh, in helping women get out of the, the sex trafficking industry and uh, the sex industry as a whole. And she's doing a tremendous job there. And so if you have a chance to see her, if you know her, make sure you give her a big hug and a big thank you for the service that she's providing for those gals. But this is an event you can sign up to uh, in addition to so to just help out those ministries as we partner uh, around our area to help bring the gospel to those who need it most. All right. Um, you ready to get in the Word? Okay, well, before I do, one more thing. Um, when you came in, we gave uh, away some hats. Those hats were made by uh, someone in the church uh, that has a hat company that just loves our church and loves you. He made these for free. Uh, we had them designed by our, by our in-house designers, and they've got all kinds of nice little touches in there. They're very high-quality hats, uh, and so thank the Lord for that. But um, we want to give them away for free to you. If you don't have one, make sure you grab one on the way out. A few folks have said, hey, um, what if I want to buy the hat? You can if you want to. Just mark on there that you're purchasing it for whatever donation price you want. And we're going to put those funds into our missions funds so we can continue to support our missionaries well. Amen? All right. Hey, if you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Uh, we'd love to give you one. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we've been walking through this wonderful book over the last several uh, months together. It's been a good book. We've got um, the rest of the year planned out for Christmas coming up. Night of Bethlehem is going to be launched again this year, uh, God willing. And um, we also have all of our messages kind of lined up uh, for, for 2022. Is that How crazy is it that that's like right around the corner? Wow. Feels like COVID just yesterday, doesn't it? Um, so, Colossians chapter 3, remember, we, uh, as we've been guiding through this book, Paul, uh, Paul doesn't know anybody in Colossae other than Epaphras. Epaphras is a gentleman who most likely was saved under Paul's ministry, and uh, he's, he's pastoring this church, and he's doing his best to make sure that it is grounded in the Word and it's grounded in Jesus. And what is happening in Colossae is the culture is kind of creeping into the church. Ideologies and philosophies are starting to to kind of breed themselves amongst just the simplicity of the gospel. And, and so he hears of this, and Paul Paul writes back to that church, and in the first few chapters of Colossians, Paul is just saying, listen, don't blend this stuff with anything. All you need is the supremacy of Christ. And so the, the supremacy of Christ is elevated, the gospel is elevated, that, that salvation really is that simple, right? The philosophers of the day were saying, you needed a secret kind of knowledge and that to be saved by grace was too simple. And Paul is simply saying, that's not true. The gospel is that simple. Anyone can grasp it. Anyone can hold it. Don't let go of the gospel. He just hammers that home. And then last week, we launched into chapter three. Like much of Paul's writings, it begins with Christology and doctrine and theology, all these beautiful nuances. And then Paul begins to get really practical. And he starts to say, this is what it should look like to live a good Christian life. Last week, we kind of talked about uh, how as Christians in our new identity with Christ, we're to take off certain things. There's certain kind of immorality that we shouldn't be living in, uh, things that, that, that will impact us in a way that, that is negative. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, the culture might embrace some of these ideologies, 
but it's really not for the best of the flourishing of mankind. Uh, that it's not always going to work out great if you just live according to your own will. Really, what sin is at the end of the day is saying, I can do it my own way. I, I don't need a God. I can be my own God. Uh, and so Paul now says, okay, listen, now that you have this new identity, now that you're a Christian, you should take off certain clothing. And, and now this morning is a much easier message to preach uh, because it's, it's more positive in that this is what we're to put on as Christians. This is the clothing that we're supposed to put on as Christians. Uh, and so as we dive into Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 on, I've got three points this morning. Uh, one will be our position in Christ. That's point one. Put this on. That's actually the title of the message. So put this on. What are we to put on? And then number three, practical love. Position, put this on, practical love. If you're able to this morning, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of Scripture uh, for, for God speaking to us and ministering to us through this text. Chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in the perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, three times you say in the scripture for the church, for us, to practice thanksgiving and thankfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would allow our hearts to be thankful for what you've done. As you have laid your life down for us, on our behalf, that we could be reconciled to you in relationship. That a relationship that maybe was once far off is now brought near. Would you do your perfect work in our hearts this morning, that we would be people and children of God. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Please be seated. So position. Now, before we get to this reality that, that there's certain things as Christians that we should put on, that we should be clothed in, I think we need to do a little bit of work of position. Uh, last week, I didn't get to get into it uh, that much, but I'll get into it too this morning. In regards to this position that we have in Christ, this reality we have in Christ, is actually listed, first of all, in verse 10. I didn't read it for time's sake this morning, but let's go and read it again now. Verse 10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. So, so now Paul is he's reminding us, because of the sufficiency of Christ, because Christ has laid down his life, he has died for us, he's been raised from the grave, he's defeated death, and because he's the one and true God, we have this new self. For those of us who've been wrapped up in God, we have a new self, a newness that exists within us. Uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians actually says it this way in chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Or I like how Romans says it as well. We know that our old self, the old sinful man, the man with its shame and its guilt and its hurt and its pain and its mistakes, that that old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I mean, that's really, really good news. 
in Christ, you've been raised from this spiritual kind of grave, and you're free from the slavery of sin. You can say no to the old self. Great theologian R.C.H. Linsky actually says it this way, the old man is not converted, for he cannot be. He is not renewed, he cannot be. He can only be replaced by the new man. What does this mean? Well, they're, they're, I got to do a little bit of work here with you because this is, this is deep and very important to my heart. I think it's very deep and important to the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Bible. Because you have within American Christianity, and I'm sure it exists to some degree globally, this, this kind of teaching that if you come to Jesus, you're going to be improved. Right? Some people come to church because they know their life is a mess and they're hoping that if they come to church and they tithe and they serve and they do certain things that maybe the, that the old man will become a better man. And so you have whole ministries. You have whole churches that are just all about improving the self. Right? If I come to Jesus, my marriage will get better. If I come to Jesus, I'll, I'll be a better parent. If I come to Jesus, maybe my wallet will get a little thicker. If I come to Jesus, maybe my boss will like me more. If I come to Jesus, maybe I'll find favor in this world. And oh, if I come to Jesus, maybe I'll be happier. Maybe I'll have a little bit more peace. Now, now the reality is when you come to Jesus, those things may happen. But at the core of, the Christ, uh, of Christianity, isn't that it's about self-improvement? There's all kinds of books on self-improvement, are there not? I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I looked it up. I did a message a few years ago on the amount of self-help books that were written uh, in the last, like, six months. It was something like 250,000 or something like that, right? I mean, you can go into any bookstore, and you are not going to find a shortage of self-help books, are you? Right, I mean, j- just go into the grocery store sometime. You know, right when you check out to your left, you've got a bunch of magazines. And what are all of those magazines? Ten Steps to a Better You right? Five makeup tips that'll make you beautiful, right? If you look, it's all a list. It's no different than the Ten Commandments. Just do these things, bam, 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 and you'll be happy. Now, when we come to Christ, it's not about becoming a better person, though that may happen. It's about becoming a new person. It's not about becoming better. It's about coming alive. The Bible literally says that those who are outside of Jesus Christ, those who don't believe in the God of the Bible, which I know is somewhat hard to believe, that they're, they're naturally going to fall into. It's all good. It's, it happens. It happened in the first service, but it was one of the worship members, so one of the worship team members. It happens. It doesn't distract the Holy Spirit. It just distracts me. <laughs> um, it's, it's not about becoming a better person. It's about becoming a new man. Alive from death. The way the Bible describes us, remember Romans 1 last week? Man, that's a tough passage, but it literally says that, that, that the culture, that people outside of God naturally, because of sin, want to suppress the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, all of us are truth suppressors. I mean, even myself, there's things that we want to kind of push down. We don't want to hear. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want someone to tell us that we're wrong. I mean, how many of you are really good at hearing that you're wrong about something? Honestly, I'm pretty sure some of you are married and you've had your spouse tell you you were wrong about something. But our natural inclination, at the end of the day, even those who don't believe in God, those philosophers of old would say that the ego is much stronger than we could ever think or imagine. And instead of the ego, the Bible would say sin is much stronger than you could ever think or imagine to the point where it makes you spiritually dead. But when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it makes you alive. It gives you a new life. It helps you see the world through a new lens. 
right? Romans 1 actually literally tells us that through the suppression of truth, as we shared last week, eventually you get to a place, you get to a place where things don't make sense, things aren't logical. Those of us with a biblical worldview who see the Bible as the way in which we should see society and as the way in which we should live, we begin to see the world in a light that the world just simply doesn't understand or agree with or like. And we have to understand that that's a great difficulty for us to live in as Christians. I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had in the last two months of individuals who were feeling a deep sense of persecution in their workplace, a deep sense of ostracization in their workplace. Spoke with someone today who had an appointment at a certain place and felt a deep sense of pressure that they held deep convictions with, that, that the culture was saying, you must do this thing and you must be this way. You must think like this. Right? Christians, to a certain degree, are living in a pressure cooker. Right? And yet we know that we, because we see things the way that God has helped us see them, that we simply have this position in Christ as a new man. We can't help but see it any other way. And those of you who have come alive in Christ, you know, you, you have felt it, you have sensed it. Right? Some, of you, some of you are so new, you don't know my story, but I grew up in the Hirschdale Auto Wrecking Yard. Some of you don't even remember the Hirschdale Auto Wrecking Yard. But if you were to talk to some of the individuals who remember it, they would say, that was a scary place to visit. You used to write a note to your wife, this is where I'm visiting, this is where I'm going. If I don't come back, come look for my body. Right? My, my dad who raised me was a tough individual. Right? My family was filled with drug abuse, filled with all kinds of things that were sinful and gnarly. And it wasn't until Jesus came, spoke to my mom, and my mom one day said to me, hey, Jesse, I found Jesus. And literally, I didn't know if that was a new drug or what. I was about 12 years old, and it made a radical difference in my mom. One day, she was one woman, and the next day, she was a new woman. And I knew she was new because she was living differently. She was cooking breakfast, which was kind of an abnormality, but then it became a normal thing. And those of you, you know, when Christ has illuminated himself to you and his forgiveness and his grace, you, it's not about being improved. Though, again, that may occur, it's about becoming brand new. The Bible says before Christ, we were slaves, we were orphaned, and we were dead in our trespasses. And yet Jesus adopts us into his family. He makes us alive, and he gives us new eyes and a new mind and a new, a new heart and a new way of thinking. In fact, that's exactly what it says in the Old Testament, that he desires to take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. That's the good news of the gospel, this new position we have in Christ. But verse 10 also says that we're going to be renewed. That's that daily growth of renewal, going deeper in the knowledge of God and deeper in the things of God. So in our position in Christ, we have a new self, and we're being renewed, right? His mercies are new every morning, right? And the reality is, is that sometimes we forget that. I woke up this morning and um, came to church and just, I don't know about you, but kind of walked outside. I didn't realize that it rained last night, and a little bit of rain, fresh air, came into the church, just opened up the doors because the, the, just the freshness of the air, just being reminded that God brings new mercies every morning, right? Every day is a reminder of a fresh start. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but actually the Jewish calendar actually starts from night to day. And the reason for that is because the first thing that God wants you to know is that his first gift of your day is a good night's rest, right? We, 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 we calendar it from morning to night, but God kind of intended to be, hey, you, the first gift I give you is rest. And then you're going to labor, and then I'll give you rest again in your new day. And then Laura, who was greeting, I'm sure uh, some of you saw her. She's, she's got this nice little beautiful baby bump, right? And uh, I, some of you don't know their story, but they've been praying 
for a couple years that God would give them a baby. And then all of a sudden, God grants that gift. And as I see her standing there greeting with that little baby bump, I'm reminded that God is sovereign over life and he's sovereign over the womb and he's good and he's gracious and he gives gifts to his children because he loves them deeply. These are the things that, that we have in God, a new self being renewed every day. And sometimes we forget that newness every day because we're not practicing as Paul listed here three different times, thankfulness and gratitude. Thank you, God, for the fresh air. Thank you, God, for the community we have. But not only do we have a new self, and not only are we being renewed, we have a new community. Look at verse 11. Here then, because of the gospel, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the new community we have. The great diverse community. Now, 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 what's interesting is, is that if you start to list this, and it's lost on us because, because we don't necessarily use these words, barbarian, Greek, Scythian, slave, free, Jew, or what have you, circumcised or uncircumcised, but if you kind of go back and you do a little bit of work, you start to understand who these, individu- who these individuals were in the day that Paul was writing. First, you have the barbarians. The barbarians were literally considered basically the uneducated. Those who just, they didn't have education, they were kind of out on the outskirts, they weren't very smart. And then in contrast to that, uh, to the barbarian, you had the Greeks. The Greeks were very clean. They had their own way of cleaning themselves, right? They had water. They had running water. They had systems. They had education. They had what they considered even secret knowledge. They were kind of like, if you would, the doctors and the PhD kind of people of the day. Then, in contrast to the Greek, he lists the Scythians. Now, the Scythians were a hated and feared group. They were warlike savages. They were violent. If you go back in history, you'll see they invaded Asia, they invaded Egypt, they invaded Syria. In addition to that, they, were, they had such ill reputation, it was said of the Scythians that they were dirty and they never washed with water. They were literally seen as wild beasts. And then you had slave and free. Now, what's interesting about biblical slavery, and sometimes this gets kind of confused because people will think, well, maybe the Bible promotes slavery, but it doesn't, not in the way we think in American culture. In biblical culture, when it talked about slavery, it'd be like, I would enter into a financial relationship with Andy and Amber Finch. Uh, They would lend me money so I could do a job or whatever it might be. And if I was unable to pay that money, I was going to then be a slave to Andy and Amber until I was able to pay off that debt. It was a way to kind of get rid of debt. And so the Bible definitely never promotes the kind of slavery in which we know is ill and horrible and awful. In fact, it would say liberate those individuals. But there is that kind of relationship there. And Paul would say, especially in the book of Philemon, if you are in that financial place, Andy should still treat me like a brother. That's what Philemon's all about. Even though I owe Andy money, he still needs to love me, treat me well, not walk on me even though I'm in debt to him. And I should see him as a brother as well, right? So Paul says all kinds of like, hey, if you're Jew, if you're Greek, if you're Scythian, you're this barbarian, let me tell you what the reality is with all these individuals. If they come to Jesus Christ, they're all one man. Now this is really interesting because it kind of translates into today's society to a certain degree because if you look at the list, the barbarian, the Greek, and the Scythian, a lot of what divided them, even the circumcised and the uncircumcised, were ways in which people handled themselves in sanitary conditions. Certain people were seen as dirty. Certain people were seen as unclean. And society literally began to be divided in Jesus' day that some people were clean and some people were unclean. Can you make the translation without me having to say it this morning? 
Some people are clean, some people aren't. And what I love about Paul is saying is, hey, guess what, church? You're clean. Not because you're a barbarian, not because you're a slave, not because you're a Jew, not because you're a Christian. You're a slave because you're in a, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're clean because you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news to that is we become this new man with a new identity and new relationship with God, and then we become one community that is greatly diverse, and nothing should separate us from the gospel, and nothing should separate us from Jesus. Nothing should separate us from the, what is the family of God in regards to what is our personal preference and what is not our personal preference. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, speaking about this, says that you were once far off, right? You're now in Christ. You were once far off far off but then you were brought near by the blood of christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances right these are the things in which the jews said these ordinances these are the things you must do to be clean he's saying these things are wiped away that he might create in himself one new man how many new people are there one, one in place of two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, these things that divide us. Verse 18, if you jump to that, it says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together, which grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the news of the gospel. Are you a barbarian? Are you uneducated? Jesus wants a relationship with you. Are you a Greek? Are you intelligent? You have a PhD? You're rich? You live in Martyrs Camp? Jesus wants a relationship with you. Right? Those are the two contrasting things. The bum down at Safeway needs a relationship with Jesus and has a place to sit at the table of God in this room at any given time because that's how gracious Jesus is. The person who has a table that can sit 12, has the finest wine and the finest of meat, should be able to come to this church, sit in the seat, and still sit in that relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that their relationship with God has been made pure because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? If you're clean, Jesus wants you in this church. If you're dirty and you can't afford clean water, Jesus wants you in this church. And when I say church, I mean big C. He wants you to be a part of the family of God. He wants you here. And he doesn't want anything to separate you. You know, the world, the Bible literally says that the world and Satan hate you. They want to divide you. And everything in our society right now, the news, the social media, all of it is designed to keep you separated and angry and frustrated and, and, and just filled with angst at the person on the opposite side of the fence. Is it not? And so this world is saying, you know what? You've you got to be frustrated with these people. You've got to be frustrated with those people. You've got to point your finger at them, and you've got to point your finger at them. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When you come in faith, regardless of your differences, the thing that brings us together is that we all were once sinners who've been brought near by, to a, by, brought near to a holy God, to have a new identity and a new family and a new community because we are now God's chosen ones. That's verse 12, right? And the fact that he uses this language that we're God's chosen ones and that we're holy and that we're beloved in this, this new position we have in Christ is, is to say that all of us, once we come to faith, 
are completely engulfed, engulfed, enveloped into God. You, you'll hear oftentimes people say, yep, I'm a Christian. And we use that as a term to identify ourselves as, as being Christian, being evangelical, whatever it might be. But the number one term that's used to describe you and I in the Bible is in Christ. So when he says he has chosen you, and he's chosen you to make you holy, to draw you out of the culture, that's what that language means, to draw you out of the culture and into himself, that you would be holy and you would be wholly his, because you are his beloved, is all to say you are engulfed and immersed into Jesus. Do you remember the, the story of Noah? Right? Noah is, is for years, hey guys, the judgment of God's coming. It's going to rain. And in, in Noah's day, if you study, the, there, there wasn't water like there is now. And so for him to make this proclamation, the rain wasn't quite what it was like it is now, all of those different things. I know we're in kind of some weird climate stuff now, but Noah was saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And the people wouldn't listen except for his family. And then all of a sudden, the torrential rain started to fall and the water started to swell up from the bottom. And next thing you know, Noah and his family find refuge inside of the ark to be saved. They're engulfed in the ark. And what the Bible teaches that Jesus is the new ark. He, he, we engulf ourselves. We run into, the, into Jesus as if he's the ark for our salvation and our security, and we immerse ourselves in him. The way one uh, author puts it is, the more immersed you are in Christ, the less other stuff shakes you. Because you know the ultimate, most important stuff is in his hands. It's under his control. The less, you, uh, the less immersed you are, the more fearful outside things, problems, politics will shake you. Do you, do you understand what this quote is saying? He's saying if you understand your position in Christ, that you're in Christ, that you're with Christ, that he's going to hold you, he's going to secure you, the world can't shake you. Right? I, I know some of you probably have been shaken in the last 18 months. There's a period of time, shaken. Uh, I can't tell you how, again, how many times I've heard people just sharing, in this culture, it's hard, and I feel shaken, and this is difficult, and I'm dealing with this, 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 and it's just one thing after another, and one thing, and then it's just continual. It's like this starts, and this ends, and then this starts, and then this ends, and this starts, and this ends. You're in Christ. You're in the ark. Right? The, the reason that, that stuff is there, this is how beautiful beautifully connected the old testament is with the new testament and how it's all connected with one another it's raining and the waves are crashing but you're in the ark of christ yeah but it's so hard but you're in the ark of christ right he's going to deliver you he's going to make sure you get from one place to the next god's got you and because of this new position we have, Paul then gets into more of that practical language of put on and it's a whole list we're just going to go through them kind of briefly he says, okay, if you're, if you're this new man, this is your identity, this is the kind of clothing you should wear. Now, in our culture, <clears throat> what you wear says a lot about you. I don't think we necessarily mean to judge people for what they wear, but we do, right? What you wear says a lot about you, unintentionally, maybe even intentionally, right? If you, if you like to wear a lot of Nike gear and a lot of Reebok gear and you wear joggers, like you're, you're a wannabe athlete, right? You're, 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 you're try hard, right? If you got that flat bill rim and your pants are kind of loose and what, you know, you might be a snowboarder type. If you got a, if you got a knife on your belt, 
you own a gun. We know this. <laughs> right? These are just things that we read into culture that, that kind of, you know, it says something about you. And uh, Gavin Salza was in the first service, and he was wearing, I don't know how many of you saw him before he left, but he's, he's wearing an orange T-shirt and orange pants. And it said, blessed in Super Mario text, right? <laughs> if you know Gavin, you know that that only is a proclamation of kind of who he is inside. He's loud and very proud to be a Christian, right? It just fits his personality. It's, it's who he is, and that's okay. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what the Bible is saying is that there's certain spiritual things that we put on that are markers to a society that is dark that show us that we're Christians. And so Paul says, okay, hey, listen, this is the kind of clothing that you should be wearing. Since you're engulfed in Christ and your position is in Christ, you should have these kind of things that are true about you. The first one he lists is a heart of compassion, right? A deep gut-level feeling of sympathy and pity and mercy towards people. We, we, we shouldn't be indifferent. And we have to see things spiritually. A, a friend of mine texted me last night and said, man, I really feel like our battle is against people and not against principalities. What is he saying by that? He, well, Colossians has said on many different occasions that behind the things that we struggle with is, is a spiritual realm that is real, that exists. Those are the principalities. And that those principalities are indeed against the Christian worldview and a biblical worldview. He says, it feels like I'm fighting against people. And that's why we need to remember this idea of, of compassion and mercy because the Bible says that people aren't our problem, but it's the spiritual realm that is our problem. Do you remember when Jesus was literally preaching and he sees all of these crowds of people who are coming to him and, and the reality is that Jesus is faced with this fact that, that people are coming to him because he's reproducing bread and he's healing people and he's doing these amazing things. And so people were coming to Jesus to receive these healing things rather than to receive Jesus himself as the true gift. And it literally just, instead, you know, like, right, if, I don't know what you would say if people were following you just to get stuff from you rather than to get you, but it says that Jesus just looks upon the crowds with compassion in his heart for them as they were helpless and harassed. How many of you have a heart of compassion for people who are different than you? How many of you have looked at the ills and the struggles of the world and got angry at people rather than the principalities because those people just happen to be victims of the principalities? And their only hope is to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be freed from those things. I mean, I once was a slave, and now I'm free. I once had the inability to think clearly, to see life the way that God intended it to be, but then Jesus gave me new eyes and a new way of life and a new direction and new guidance, and now I'm awakened, and I want to see others be awakened. I'll give you one, heart of compassion and prayer. We'll touch upon prayer a little bit more in a minute. How many of you on Tuesday prayed for Gavin Newsom? Right, and, and, and that's a good question, Sean. That's a great question, dude. By prayer, I don't mean Lord, hell hath no fury like a church scorned. <laughs> But not, not fire and brimstone, but, but Lord, thank you. Like, Bible instructs us to pray for our political leaders, even if we don't agree with them. And some will be like, well, you don't know how messed up it is, man. I go, Do you know that when Jesus had this stuff written, you know who was the leader of the known empire? A guy by the name of Nero. You ever done any study on Nero? Or a guy by the name of Herod. You ever done any study on Herod? Herod was killing babies. 
And Jesus says, you know what? You, you, your natural inclination is to want to hate people. That is the natural inclination, not just to suppress the truth, but to hate people who are different than you. And Jesus is saying, put on, as Christian, hearts of compassion for anybody and everybody, especially those who are evil. You go, oh, I don't know. That sounds a little tough. Okay, well, well then let me drive it a, a little bit further where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. Those are his words. Those are actually Jesus' words. So we're put on hearts of compassion. In addition to that, we're to put on kindness. Kindness is the kind of grace that permeates the whole person. Right? A good question to ask in regards to yourself is, is when people around you, do you make them feel heavy or do you make them feel light? Like when people around you, is there a freedom to talk, a freedom to be yourself because you're naturally kind, you're not burdensome, and you're not hard to be around? Which comes from the next thing he says in number three on the list, which is humility, which is one of the number one attributes of Jesus, to act as the role of a servant, to lay your life down. One of the reasons that we're calling you to serve on a Sunday morning and we say things like, come to one service and serve at another service, come to one servant one, isn't because we just want to propagate the church and because we want to continue to build the church. It's for your benefit. Jesus literally lays down his life for the church. And so by serving our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're literally putting ourselves be, uh, uh, under them and we're, we're growing in our walk with God, which increases, as Paul's listed here on several different occasions, peace in your heart. And then he says meekness and patience. And he tells us that we should be known for bearing with one another long-suffering, forgiving each other. You know, one of the major marks of Christians should be forgiveness. Because Jesus has forgiven us, we're called to forgive likewise. I believe Christians should be the first ones to confess and to say they're sorry. We should be the first ones to repent and turn away from evil. And the first ones to forgive an offense when that offense has been happened to us and to pursue that person as Christ pursues us when they've wronged us. These are major marks of Christianity. Like what makes us who we are is that relationship with Jesus. Because we have this relationship with Jesus, we live like Jesus because we're enveloped and clothed with Jesus. And as we practice these things, let me, let me just ask you a question. How many of you in the last, last year have been hurt by someone? I think all of us probably have to some degree or another. Right? And there's only three options when somebody hurts you. When somebody wrongs you, whatever that wrong may be, maybe someone cuts you off in traffic, might be somebody masks, shames, shames you. It might be any of those things. There's three kind of responses. The first one is, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. You hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. Right? You said this to me, now I'll say this to you. That is, by the way, to act like a five-year-old child. That's what that is. That's exactly what my kids do. Every time one of them punches the other one, slaps the other one, smacks the other one, throw something at the other one, and I say, why did you do that? They inevitably will say, well, because he did this, and he did that, right? The reality is, is when somebody has shaken you, whatever comes out of you is what was already there, right? Nobody makes you mad. Nobody makes you sad. Nobody makes you depressed. It, only situations and circumstances bring out that which is in the heart. And so one natural response, someone hurts us, we hurt them back. Or the second one is they hurt us, so we just stay away from them. We shut them out. We don't invite them to the house. We ignore them, right? If you've been married, maybe you've slept on the couch a couple times, right? I'm going to show her. It's always the guy, isn't it, right? Where'd you sleep last night? In the doghouse. Remember that old saying? I started to show my age a little bit. 
Or maybe you're just not wanting to show any verbal sign that you have slept in the literal doghouse. Right? I'm just going to ignore you. I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm going to shut you out, and I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to stay away. Or the third option is this. They hurt us, and we go after them, and we love them. Right? One is to push them away. The other is to ignore them. And the gospel is to embrace them. I'm sorry, I forgive you. I'm sorry, forgive me. You know, one of the things I've always wrestled with, especially as a church leader, is to ask for forgiveness even though I know I'm right. People go, wait a minute. You know, you're taking responsibility for, for somebody else's stuff. I go, oh, you mean like Jesus did? Jesus took our shame, took our punishment. And sometimes we're so prideful and so arrogant and so bent on being right all the time that we don't see that it's okay to embrace and take the wrong and admit that we're wrong for the sake of the reconciliation of the relationship. Come on, anybody who's been married knows that that's a key to being married. Yeah? Some of you don't want to admit it. Matthew 5.40, I think I mentioned this a little earlier. If anyone would sue you, take your tunic and let them have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse to the one who will borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. But I I understand that this is a culture and a society that's probably never been as divided as it ever has been before. And, And we don't need to compromise the gospel compromise our message, compromise our biblical belief that we believe in, a, in the Bible. I mean, I know, I know last week I, I said it when we began. I said, I said, I know that some of what's going to be read and what's going to be shared is going to be offensive, that it's going to be difficult. But for me, I, I, I'm convinced, because we like to think, as C.S. Lewis says, that we're all kind of victims of chronological snobbery, that there's that there's something about this culture and this society that we know that other cultures and societies didn't know behind us. But if you look at the history of the church, you will see every ill, every, everything that was ever struggled with happened over the last 2,000 years. And the one thing that has remained true over those 2,000 years is the word of God. It's still here, and it's not going to go anywhere. And I know that sometimes when we read certain things, including for myself, it's offensive. But just because something's offensive in the Bible doesn't mean that you throw out the Bible. Right, when something's offensive because you're enveloped in God and you're a sinner and your natural inclination is to suppress the truth, every now and then you're going to read something and it's going to offend you. Right, And what the world says is, don't offend me. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what is right and wrong. My heart is the thing that tells me what's right or wrong. Right, one of the worst things that we can teach our young kids is follow your heart. Because the Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? Right? The Bible tells us rather to follow the truth, the word of God. I don't trust my own heart. Maybe you do. And if you do, congratulations to you. But I know what kind of human being that, that I am. I know that I'm flawed and I'm frail and I'm weak and I'm imperfect. I know that. I've never had a perfect day in my entire life. Have you? Has anyone nailed that? Like had one perfect day, just solidly perfect. You didn't do anything wrong. You never had one bad thought. You never hated anybody. You know, anybody have that? Because we should worship you. There's no, there's no such thing. And what happens is when we as flawed people get enveloped into the position of God, 
Jesus offends us. He can sometimes be offensive. And we're not like the rest of the culture that says, no, I don't want to hear it. No, I don't want to be challenged. No, I don't want you to tell me I'm a sinner. Rather, we say, Jesus, you're right. Lord, would you offend me today? Because when we're offended, you know what happens when you start getting offended? You have to start doing a little bit of soul work. Why did that offend me? Why did that bother me? Did it bother you because you want life your way? And you don't want life God's way? You know what the end of sin, the bottom line of sin, is that you would choose to live life according to your own ways, which means that you have conformed God into your own image rather than God conforming you in his image. And we have a whole society that's continually and constantly trying to shape God into what they want him to be. And I say over the last 2,000 plus years, and then you include all the Jewish history before that, and you go, for the last 6,000 years, we must be conformed to the image of God because when we don't, this is what happens to society. I mean, can we just ask the question, is society better off than it was 2,000 years ago? Maybe because of clean water and technology, but are we happier? Do we have more peace? Are we better at community? I mean, one of the things that draws people to church is the reality that, that church has a beautiful community. When done right, when we recognize that we're sinners and we all have this, this thing that we have in Jesus that we need the hope of the gospel and that we recognize that we, we need hope and we need help. I remember years ago, a gal, um, she lost her son that I went to high school with. This was a mom that, that, you know, I knew in high school, and this is a guy that I played football with, and he just tragically passed away. And the parents came to me, and they said, you know, we know you. We know that you knew our son, and we want you to do the memorial service. So we did the memorial service, and through, through relationship, the mom and the dad began to ask questions about Jesus. And I remember at one point in time, she said, you know, the way you communicate about Jesus is that, is that Jesus is a crutch for you. And I'm not sure that I want a crutch. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm that kind of weak person. And I said, you know, you are absolutely correct. Jesus is a crutch. He's the one that gets me through this life. He's the one that carries me. Now, good news for those of you who don't know the end of the story. Over the last eight years, they've been an intricate part of our church family. And they're madly in love with Jesus. Through great loss and grace, great pain, Jesus brought them near. And they have found healing because of God. That's good news. And so we forgive each other. Even when they hurt us, we run after them. And then ultimately, as Paul says here, the church must have this perfect unity, the thing that ties everything together, the belt that pulls it all together, love. That we must be willing to love people who are different than us, love people who are unlike us, love people that, that seem far off. We must love those people. Literally, the Bible says that, that people will know that you are my disciples for your love specifically for one another, specifically for the brothers and sisters in the church. Now, I try my best to love deeply. It can be difficult at times because people are difficult. And other times, it's just beautiful. I mean, I don't know how many of you know the Weed family, but they've got some just beautiful children. Some of you have met some of their children. Cohen, who's in a little wheelchair, we, we, we basically revamped our wheelchair thing over there next door for, for little Cohen. And how many of you had a chance to interact with Cohen? That kid has a smile that's worth $10 million, if not more. 
right? And I was out here on a, um, on a Tuesday. Man, we have, I think, I think it's Tuesday morning. They're like, like during the week, there are like 200 people here <laughs> at the church and Bible studies and, and, and all of that. I think actually this was Thursday. There's a bunch of people here on Thursday doing school. And, and uh, I was running around with some of the Weeds kids on their bicycles. And, and then I had to like reel them in because they were darting down the, the driveway and I was worried they're going to get hit by a car, you know. But they're, and, and I just love the fact that these little four-year-old and five-year-old kids they, they see me and they say, Pastor Jesse, and their eyes light up. That's the kind of like, man, I feel love from them. And they know that I'm safe and I love them. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy for a long time. I want to be that guy for some of your kids, and I am for some of them. And all of that is to represent, not myself, but to represent the kind of love that God has for us. And this is my third point, that we got to have practical kind of love. So let me just give you a few points and then we'll close. Number one, practical love denies self. Practical love serves. Practical love doesn't seek their own good, but seeks the good of all. Number two, practical love asks for forgiveness. We talked about that a moment ago. Number three, practical love listens, doesn't just respond. How many of you, when you're arguing a point, have a hard time listening? You just want to share what you want to share. Practical love listens. Number four, practical love includes people. Inclusion is a big idea in the Bible to include all kinds of different folks. Number five, practical love is generous. We give and we give the best because God's worth it. Number six, practical love is sacrificial. It's willing to give even if it hurts. Number seven, practical love tell truth and love. Number eight, practical love prays for each other. Number nine, practical love encourages each other. And number 10, practical love is very gracious doesn't demand anything in return. It gives simply for the sake of giving because it's a beautiful thing to do. Let me just ask a few questions as we get ready to close. What would your life look like if every morning you got up and didn't just put on your clothes but put these things on as well? What would your marriage like if you reminded yourself that I'm not just clothed in my clothing but I'm also clothed in peace and righteousness, mercy, compassion, forgiveness? What would the church like if it was able to live that out and everything that it did, everything that it said, all the Bible studies that we were part of? What would that look like if you treated your bank teller that way, your doctor that way, your lawyer that way, that you're clothed in these things in spite of who they are, even if they're enemies of the cross and they hate the Bible and they hate Christianity, we still keep loving because that's the kind of God we serve. It's not our job to judge people or to punish people. Jesus will handle that in his own time. In the meantime, it's our job to be the salt and the light of the world. Amen? So as we leave, a couple takeaways for you this morning. Things you can do this week to think about and meditate on. Number one, how does knowing that you're enveloped in Christ impact you? What does it mean that you're not just a Christian, but that you're unified with Jesus? Number two, on the list of the articles of clothing, what's lacking most in you and how come? Why is that lacking? Just kind of do a little bit of soul work. And then number three, list several ways that you can love your church family more. How can you love the people in this room? Because the Bible does say the world will know that we are his by our love for one another. We're called to love each other, no matter what. What ways can you express that? Amen? Okay, this morning, as uh, last kind of 
deal of business, actually a fun thing, we get to do a baptism this morning. <clears throat> Sean, would you come on up here? So this is Sean. Sean's been part of our church for a few years, and um, he has been an incredible blessing to, uh, to our church family. He laughs at all of my jokes, <laughs> so he thinks I'm funny, which is great. He loves Taco Bell. Huh? What's your favorite thing at Taco Bell? I always ask you this. What is it? All of it? All How does it feel to stand up here without your shirt on in front of all these people? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that a boy. I love it. Um, and his mom and dad are here, uh, and um, they're, they're going to be moving soon, and I'm going to miss them incredibly so. And they've, they've been a, just a real gift to our church family. They've shared a lot of love. They fed the staff on Thursday just as a way to say thank you to us. And we're going to miss them. And so, Sean, before I baptize you, can I just have you declare before the church body, do you believe that Jesus Christ has died for you and he rose again from the grave and he's given you eternal life? Yes. And are you ready to continue to walk the rest of your days yes. with the Lord? Yes. As we baptize Sean, it's an image uh, that God actually, we believe in kind of two sacraments. One is communion. We practice that usually once a month, the first of the month. The other one is baptism. And this is a commandment of Jesus. He says when you should be baptized as a believer because what you're doing is you're declaring before your church family that you believe you are enveloped in Christ, as I just shared, that the old man has died and the new man has been raised. And that's what the water represents. The old man goes and is buried in the grave and the new man is resurrected along with Jesus with a new life and the power of the Holy Spirit to live with him all the days of his life. In addition to that, the water shows that he's been cleaned by the blood of Jesus. All right, are you ready? Yeah. All right, bud. Lord, I thank you for Sean. I thank you for his family. I thank you that they've been a gift to us, and I pray that as they move from Truckee, they would know that they're always going to be part of our family no matter what. And that one day, Lord, we'll be unified with them in heaven for eternity, and we'll remember all the great memories of what church has been, what church life has been like, what family life has been like, and the ways that you've worked through hurt and brokenness and, and all of that, Lord, we'll be able to reminisce in it. I thank you for this young man's ability to sit before his church family here, Lord, and say, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm thankful that he has washed me clean from my sin. And now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Congratulations, brother. Love you. We saw your yellow shorts, so we got you a yellow towel to match it. Dude, check this out. Look at how good we are at SBC. Look at, you see what's on there? That's a gorilla, dude. <laughs> you want, here. All right, let's sing. Thank you, Sean. Love you, brother. Friends, will you stand with us and let's uh, respond unto the Lord? It gives an opportunity for you to...